0: Welcome to the Work Minus Podcast. We talk about what we need to drop from the way we think about work and what we need to replace it with to be prepared for the future. Go to workminus.com to see a transcript of this episode, more podcasts, articles, and a newsletter that connects you to the best ideas about work. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome back to Work Minus, where we start the conversations you need to have to get to a better future of work. Today, we've got a repeat guest on the show. We have Max Yoder. He's the CEO at Lessonly, and he's also the author of the book, Do Better Work. How have things been, Max? How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me on again, Neil. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you on, man. You are a guy who seems like he's always on the path to improvement, someone who who always is looking for ways to better yourself. Uh, This new book you have is very instructional, but it's almost like it feels like we're reading your journal, like as we're going through it and, and seeing uh, a bit into your soul. A little bit. Are you? Have you always been that kind of person? That's always looking for ways to improve and get better. I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, more than ever,
1: I'm clear on the work that uh, is required of me, and that work is uh, how do I get myself in a spot where um, I minimize my anger and I minimize my sadness. It's not to not be sad or angry. It's to understand my anger and my sadness uh, and and embrace them so that I am just a, a less volatile individual. I think we all can be volatile individuals. And if we're less volatile in life, we don't pass kind of our darkness onto somebody else. Yep. So my job is to understand my darkness so I don't pass it on to somebody else. So self-improvement is going to be my job till I die. And I feel like it's the one thing I can control is how do I grow myself so that I am not throwing my shadow on everybody else.
0: Yeah, and that's so important. I feel like as we move to the future for leaders to have that heightened sense of self-awareness, of really understanding who we are as people, what drives us, what we like about it, what we don't like about it, find ways to root that out. Because not only are you learning about yourself, you're learning about other people in the process too, right?
1: You bet. I mean, Carl Jung has been hugely uh, instructive for me uh, over the past year. So if anybody out there listening has any ideas of like, hey, how do I kind of bring myself into a more holy place? When I say holy, I mean whole, you know, like a, a whole person instead of a partial person. Um, And Carl Jung would argue uh, it's this thing called individuation. Uh, And if we all do it, or even a fraction of us do it, his argument is uh, we create uh, uh, much uh, safer, kinder, warmer places where people can actually develop and not be so dang scared.
0: Uh, And I like the sound of that. Yeah, it sounds awesome. So last time we had you on the show, we talked about work minus intuition where it was this idea that instead of just guessing how people are feeling, guessing how we should go into things, we should actually ask. We have the ability to communicate. We can do that. We talked about nonviolent communication, which is one of your yeah. favorite topics. So I really learned a lot from that. That Now you've come out with a, a new book, Do Better Work. So tell us how that came about. Yeah, I, the big idea
1: was um, our mission statement is help people do better work so they can live better lives. And uh, defining what better work meant was important to us as an organization. Uh, Kyle Lacey, as uh, our chief marketing officer, he suggested, uh, I'd been writing weekly notes. I still write weekly notes. I appreciate you being a reader of them. I always appreciate your comments on them and your, your thoughts. Um, Kyle said, Hey, let's define, you know, uh, how we think about work. Uh, and that was a pretty big ask. I was nervous as heck to do that because, uh, but it was the right push because, you know, if we're going to say, uh, help people do better work, we should, we should be clear about what we mean by that. Not this idea that like we own the idea of better work. We certainly don't. We want it to be a movement that people embrace and make their own. But what do we mean when we say it? So uh, the book went through a bunch of different transitions while I got out of my own way. And when I say get out of my own way, I mean like I tried... uh, First, I started writing a book as though um, I thought I should write a book. You know, like I I shoulded myself into writing the book. Yeah. And uh, I should do it like this and I should do it like that. And ultimately, uh, I took a long time to get out of my own way and just be like, what is genuine to my soul and my spirit? Uh, and as soon as I got to that, which, like I said, took a while, everything started to go much more smoothly, and the themes started to reveal themselves yeah and uh, you know because you have themes in you and I have themes in me, and uh, we'll find them through self exploration uh, and uh, that's what book writing helped me do is just self explore, find those themes, to find what better work meant to me uh, and to us as an institution and that 's been really rewarding
0: yeah, and, and like I said, the book is instructional, it is tactical, but it also reads almost autobiographical. It reads like the story of the company too. So I think that comes out strong. I want to get into your emission statement. You said do better work, lead better lives. Yeah. So especially the second part of that lead better lives. What do you feel like is the connection and you've seen with, with your own employees and team members between getting better at work and getting better at life?
1: Yeah. So where we think we play a role with our training software, we, you know, we make training software, that those people learn and practice, uh, what we've found is that when you're clear with uh, your teammates about what good work looks like or what you know a successful job looks like, uh, when you're clear and you spell out the uh, the behaviors and, and you model those behaviors, uh, people are much more likely to, to engage in those behaviors. But when you leave it ambiguous and you make people guess, they're much, li- much more likely to guess something different than you hope they would. So training software is just about spelling it out so people don't have to guess anymore, right? And wh- what we see is that when the more we can spell out uh, what the job looks like and success in the job looks like, the more people do it. And we know that a good day at work transcends to, into a good day at home or often it does. You know, if you walk out of uh, your office, Neil, and you see somebody in the street after a good day, you're a different person to that individual, just like I am. Um, and uh, our, our way of impacting that better lives part is just if we can help you do better work, we know that's going to have a material impact on, on your life. And we know that it stinks to not feel good at your job, to not feel equipped in your job, and we know you carry that home with you too. So you're gonna, you know, you're gonna walk home and you're gonna greet people and you're gonna meet uh, uh, people on the street, but you're also gonna walk into your house and whether it's your kids or your or your spouse or your any other loved ones, uh, if you had a better day that day at work and you felt more confident and confident in your job, that goes a long way to you being uh, more joyful at home.
0: Yeah, this is awesome stuff, Max. I love the holistic viewpoint you've seen. I'm assuming your practice, even in your company, the idea that what happens at work, is not just like we close it off. And the same thing, what, what happens at home, you know, we bring to work, but okay. what happens at work, we bring home too. And so the better we can do at creating good systems, good communication practices at the office, the better our whole lives will be.
1: Yeah, it's something that companies, uh, I think just want people to interpret. Like, you know, we talked about last time being intuitive. Uh, I think often it's just left in the ether of like, well, just look around, just do it like we're all doing it. And not everybody's doing it the same way. Uh, and it's not always clear uh, why whatever you're doing works, and why uh, which parts you want me to copy and which parts you don't. You know, yep. uh, so let's just be clear as we can. And clarity is not something that that persists. You know, clarity is something you have to continually build mm. and rebuild. Yeah. And and in a given day, you know, some catastrophic life event, inside or outside of the business, can really in, in change how much clarity we have about what we're doing and why we're doing it. So our job is to create clarity as a two way street, where you and I, uh, if we're teammates or if we're in any relationship. We work together to find clarity. We don't just expect it to come to us. So the employees need to be asking for clarity. Uh, and if they're not getting the clarity that they need, you know, first and foremost, uh, they're looking inward and saying, am I doing, am I doing my part to find it? Um, and being persistent in the finding of it. And the companies you know, need to do their part in, uh, in creating safe spaces so people can communicate, ask questions, and, and they're doing their best job to proactively communicate. Nobody's going to nail this, right? Yeah. But we, we can do it 1% better every day.
0: Yeah, I like that. So clarity is one of the two main concepts in your book. You have clarity and then camaraderie. So I want to hear, you know, obviously you, you've had a lot of experiences in, in leading this company and others. Why are those the two that you, you settled in on?
1: Yeah. So let's start with camaraderie since I just talked a bit about clarity. Um, camaraderie is all about a mutual trust and respect between people. Uh, and it really boils down to, uh, you know, do we, uh, do we like one another well enough to show trust and respect to one another, which I I think is kind of a low bar. I think everybody deserves trust and respect uh, as a starter. Um, but everybody's wired differently, right? That's just me. Uh, if we like one another and then we're clear on what we need to do and that's the clarity part, where we're going, why we're going there, what your role in is, it, is in that pursuit and what my role is in that pursuit, um, we, we, we we're going to make a lot of progress. So the big idea is I think we need to both, uh, have trust and respect. We don't need to be the best of friends, right? We don't need to have everything in common, uh, but we need to recognize that one another has value, worth, dignity, um, and, uh, you know, good ideas, just like every one of us, you know, also has uh, uh, not so good ideas. Uh, but if we have that agreement of like, hey, we're both we're both uh, people we enjoy being around in some way, shape, or form, and we know where we're going, we're going to get a lot done. If we only have one of those things, though, and not the other, I think uh, things get lopsided. You know, if we have clarity in a company, but we don't have camaraderie, uh, we start to actually undermine uh, future clarity because we stop communicating nearly as much as we otherwise would uh, if we had the camaraderie component. And if we just have camaraderie, but we don't know where we're going, Um, we're just really just hanging out at that point, you know We don't really know what to work on and why it's important So for us it just boiled down to as I wrote the book, you know We started to read the chapters and realize those are the two themes that came out Through the different behaviors that I talk about in the book. Um And i'm you know, i'm sure there's more Uh, but those are the parts that I felt most comfortable Uh talking about and I think they get you a really really long way in making progress at work
0: Hey everyone, if you're enjoying what you're hearing best way you can support us is to leave a review in your favorite podcast app. Or better yet, start a conversation with a friend about how you think we can make work better. Thanks. I want to talk about one of my favorite quotes from the book, which said, leadership is not knowing what to do, but committing to learning what to do. Yeah. I feel like that's a really powerful quote, especially for this day and age when we talk about future, the future leadership, future of work. There's going to be more and more that we don't know as we right. progress into the future. Things that are known are just going to kind of get codified and they're easy to find. But Admitting that you don't know things. So tell us more. Unpack this quote a little bit more for us.
1: Sure. I mean, everything's context dependent. You know, what works in one realm doesn't necessarily work in another realm. So I'd argue, the bigger the world gets, the less we know, and we're just continually going to be searching for, uh, searching for the right way for us. You know, not the right way for everybody, but the right way for our relationship or our organization or our team. Uh, I think there's just this big myth that. Uh, People uh, and myself included that I brought into a leadership role, which was um, believing that I needed to know the answer uh, if I was going to be uh, uh, somebody worth, uh, uh, you know, leading other folks. Uh, so, you know, this idea that leaders know the answer was in my head when I started leading, and I think it got, it's a fiction that got there um, because we just don't have enough vulnerability in leadership uh, where people speak openly about the fact that they have learned along the way. You know, the closest we get is kind of fake it till you make it. I think really what that means is learn along the way. Um, if, if, you know, if leaders are supposed to know the answer, well, then I can't ask a heck of a lot of questions if I'm in a leadership position because uh, I'm showing that I'm not a leader at that point, right? Because I'm supposed to already know what to do, not, not find what to do. But if I get to say leaders learn the answer, which is absolutely true, I can ask as many questions as I want. I can seek the advice of anybody on the, in the company. Um, and I empower everybody else in the company to behave the same way. But if we have to posture and act like we know the answer and we kind of dominate life and we know, know all the directions that, that work, we're not going to get very far. We're going to shut things down. We're going to shut communication down, and I think you shut it down in two really important ways. Uh, if you're, if if people believe that you know the answer and you behave like you know the answer, they're going to be less likely to point out opportunities that they see because they're going to assume that you already see them or that you've already decided they're not great opportunities. They're also going to be less interested in pointing out the threats that they see because they're going to think, well, you know, Neil probably knows that that's there because Neil seems to have it all figured out. So we limit our ability to see potential roadblocks ahead and also potential opportunities ahead because people just assume that you got it covered or I got it covered if I behave that way. You know, what signal am I sending to say that, you know, just just ask me, I know what to do. Um, it certainly isn't true uh, and it's it's limiting my ability to communicate and I think... If we think about a great relationship, Neil, communication is the root of a great relationship. The, the stronger we communicate, the clearer we communicate, the more we work on our communication with one another, the stronger our relationship is. The more our communication breaks down, the weaker our relationship becomes. I think it's a really a one-to-one connection It's how well are we communicating. Um, of course, we have to embrace whatever we're learning in that communication uh, and adapt and uh, you know put it to work. But I think you know communication goes a big way in building a great relationship. If we posture like we know the answer, that's, that's a challenge. Uh, and so I think when you get in a leadership position, you got to say out loud, look, some of these stuff I feel more confident and some of it I don't. And I believe we can figure it out, but I'm not precisely sure how. And that is to me what vulnerability is, saying I'm confident we can figure it out. I just don't yet know how, and i love your help. Uh, that to me is what vulnerability is.
0: Yeah, and that sounds like leadership to me. Like that's what it should be. We hear that fake it till you make it a lot, which is almost like being honest with yourself that you don't know, but you're not being honest with the people around you. Right. You're posturing. You're faking it, right? Like, I think everybody else around you immediately
1: breathes a sigh of relief, you know, if, if they don't have their sword and their shield up uh, too much. And I think everybody can carry on a sword and a shield where we're defensive or offensive in a defensive way. Uh, if we can drop those things, when we see somebody who is being vulnerable, uh, it's really empowering and it's contagious. And if somebody else is allowed to say they don't know, then I'm allowed to say it too. And uh, I think we need more people going, I don't know, because this is a complex and chaotic world. How could you possibly know?
0: Uh, you know, we got to communicate every day. So I think that leads into another point of the book that I really enjoyed, which was where you talked about the importance of, of starting with yourself, not expecting everyone else to change. There's probably a, a feeling that, okay, you're going to read Max's book. You're going to get through like, man, I know five people who need to read this and to yep. start applying it. And I'm going to hand it out to my staff. Like I know, obviously for book sales would be great if people just did everything like that, but what's the impact, the difference between just making everyone think about these concepts and expecting them to change and just having one person who's in a leadership role actually do this stuff?
1: Yeah, I'd take the one person all day long, book sales be damned. Uh, and I don't think I'd, I've thanked you uh, yet uh, on this podcast for taking the time to, to, to take the book in like you have um, and really consider it. So thank you. Um, yeah, I, I I'd re- I'd re- I'd take one person any day who applies and practices the behaviors than 30 people who read the book and never uh, diligently practice any of the concepts. I, I, you know, Any one of these concepts falls flat on its face if somebody doesn't embrace it and say 1% at a time, with self-compassion, I'm gonna apply these behaviors. I say 1% at a time because you know, you're know you naturally probably doing a different behavior. Uh, so 1% at a time, how do you integrate a new behavior into, into, into your work? If you're not getting agreements right now, which is chapter in the book, how do you get more agreements 1% at a time? Getting people to agree on the behaviors they wanna see. Um, 1% at a time. And how do you forgive yourself along the way, which is the self-compassion part, when you drop the ball, as you will? You know, there's this thing called uh, called lapsing in the process of building an, a new behavior or building a new strength. We lapse back to the old behavior. So, uh, and I think often in that moment, uh, there's a tremendous amount of judgment. And I think that judgment comes from a really fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to, to know something, uh, and what it means to do something. So you can know a lot. You can, I, I could put the, the whole wealth of the world's uh, information into your brain, and uh, does it doesn't mean your behavior changes because knowing something intellectually is very different than knowing something in your heart and soul. Uh, if you know something in your heart and soul, it's either because you're already naturally doing that thing, uh, or you've practiced it enough that it becomes second nature. That's what knowing it in your heart and soul is. I think we know things in our brain, and we don't practice them, and we wonder why they don't take in our behavior. Um, it's because we didn't practice them. So, uh, the intellectual understanding of any of these concepts, isn't going to move any needles. The, the demonstration, uh, with self-compassion of any of these concepts will move the needle and you control you and not anybody else. So it's easy to look outward and go, wow, you know, X, Y, and Z teammates, they don't do any of this. How foolish it's much harder to look inward and go, what parts of this do I not do consistently? And, and I am I possibly projecting on my teammates, my frustration with myself, yeah. you know, uh, and then start there because uh, that's a very human and real thing to do. I do it uh, and I don't blame anybody else for doing it. But like, let's start making that change. Just looking inward and going, I control me. and I can, how well am I doing there? It's way easier to look outward, you know?
0: Totally. So we, we've been talking about that people need to practice the concepts. We haven't really talked too much about the specifics in the book. So we'll just highlight a few of them because there's a lot for people to go through. But I, I want to talk about looking for opportunity when people yes. realize that there's, you know, at any time in life and business, you run into lots of challenges. You didn't hit a mark. You, you run into something that you feel like is unfair or some situation that you want to get out of quickly. But changing your mindset in that is important. So lead us through that discussion.
1: Yeah. So looking for opportunities, this idea that challenges are inevitable. You know, like I said, the world is chaotic. The world doesn't care what your plans were. Uh, and it's not cause it it, 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 because it just is chaotic. So you're going to have a plan, uh, that gets you to a goal. And in the pursuit of that plan, something's going to go wrong. And the plan might entirely implode. Uh, and in those moments, it's natural to tell yourself a threat story, uh, which is, this is bad. That's what a threat story is. This is bad. The, 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 you know, my situation is worse now than my plan failed. So if you've ever been dumped, you probably told yourself a threat story, right? This is bad. I just got dumped. Um, I know I've been dumped. I've told myself threat stories after being dumped. Um, Telling yourself an opportunity story is saying, okay, the plan isn't uh, going the way that I hoped it would, but this might be an opportunity for me to actually uh, uh, learn more than I otherwise would have. Uh, It might be an opportunity for me to reflect on the goal and find out if I actually still want to go after that goal in the first place, right? Sometimes our plans fail and they allow us to look up and go, do I still care about that goal that I was after, you know, or was I just chasing this plan out of an escalation of commitment? Um, they, basically, because the world's chaotic, it throws, uh, it throws curveballs at you that are that are negative in, in, in the moment, but later can be very positive if you allow them to be. So in the moments where something fails, uh, one of the things that I recommend in the book is this approach by Scott Dorsey, which is uh, list the alternative plans. If you still want to go after whatever the goal was, you know that your plan failed, uh, that your initial plan failed, uh, you, had a, you had a plan, you had a goal. If you still want to go after that goal, r- start writing your alternative plans. And this is what Scott does a ton. He does it every time something uh, goes wrong uh, at Lessonly and I ask him for help. We start listing out the alternatives and then we pick the top three and then we pick our top one. It's a very simple exercise to get you back in the horse. Now you have uh, a new plan again and you can start building momentum again. It's not to say that you shouldn't go, oh, that stinks that the plan didn't go well. I think you should identify you know, when something doesn't go like you want it to and, and, and uh, kind of investigate that feeling. I don't think you should like, shut it out and act like you're an internal optimist if that's not how you feel. I think you should investigate those negative thoughts. But looking back on your life, I want to ask anybody who's listening, think about a time when something didn't go the way you wanted it to. And now you look back on that thing not going the way you wanted it to and you're grateful. That happens all the time. And it could happen tomorrow. And in that moment when that thing tomorrow doesn't go how you want it to, remember all the times that you've been grateful, that you have not gotten what you quote unquote wanted or needed. Uh, And you've looked back and said, "Woo, I'm so happy. Uh, It happens with me, with my my wife right now. She's the woman I love. Uh, And... Uh, you know, I had to get dumped uh, before her to find her. Uh, my first business was Quipple. It didn't work out. It had to fail for less than they to exist. Uh, I didn't get jobs I wanted after college. And then I met Christian Anderson. He became my perennial business partner. I look back all the time. And now when something happens to me, I'm just kind of like, I don't really know what I need. So let's take this in stride. I'm disappointed the first plan
0: didn't work out, but maybe it's great for me. So last time we talked about nonviolent communication, this time in the book, you introduce a few other new concepts, specifically one called appreciative inquiry. Yeah. So walk us through what that means.
1: Yeah, this is a game changer, man. Um, this one has changed my life maybe more than any of the others. I, I'd say nonviolent communication and appreciative inquiry, maybe getting agreements, I could probably go on. But appreciative inquiry is this idea of, I'm just naturally wired, Neil, um, to look for what isn't working and focus on that. I've lived most of my life with the belief that the only way to improve the world is to find problems and solve them. I, th- I think we have a cultural bias toward problem solving. You know, where are the problems? Let's fix them. To the point that if you asked, you know, next time you, you get a group of uh, your teammates together and you said... Um, let's just spend the whole meeting talking about things that are going well. If you're experiencing anything like, like mine, you'd get a lot of eye rolls. Like, well, why would we do that? There's no point. There's yeah. so many problems to focus on. Why would we talk about things that are going well? Well, the big idea of appreciative inquiry is if we know what's working, we can do more of it. And in the pursuit of doing more of what's working, we will naturally make the world better because the more time we spend doing the things that work, the less time we have to spend doing the things that don't. So naturally, we begin to improve our environments. But the problem with appreciative inquiry is there's an assumption I don't mean the problem with a the theory. I mean, the reason I think people don't, uh, adri- uh, aren't drawn to it or the reason uh, it might uh, seem silly is people think that uh, things that are working are problems already solved or you know, boxes are already checked, missions are already accomplished. So why bother? Um, and the reason you bother is not everybody on the team necessarily knows what works and what doesn't. So the more you share things that are working in, 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 uh, in the company, the more people can take notes and go, "Ooh, I'll try that too. So naturally we start to spread good information. Yeah. And you can start You can start doing this today by just looking around your team and going, what's going well and how do we do more of it? Or looking around your relationship with your husband, wife, significant other, whoever it is, saying what's going well and how do we do more of it? Find the places where you're in the pocket, where you're singing together, You know, where things are working and make sure that you highlight your appreciation for those things because people might go, you know, I hadn't noticed that I really value that as well until Neil said it or until Max said it. You know, I didn't notice. Um, and then they might adopt some of those behaviors too. So there's this bias toward problem solving appreciative inquiry is kind of saying let's look for what's working just as much as we look for what doesn't work um it's not to say one or the other that we, we need them both but i think we spend a disproportionate amount of time in our culture looking for what is broken and if we spent more time saying where are we succeeding where are the things that are working are happening why what causes them to work and are we sharing those things we will naturally start to elevate those things so more people can do them
0: yeah absolutely i love those topics Just stepping back and realizing, even looking back in my own career, my own life, I sense that same thing that, one, I'm also attracted to problems. And sometimes those problems, like you said, they can become those opportunities for us to grow and can can. be be great things. So we we can't turn those around. But really stop stepping back and saying, okay, this is what's really going well uh, and being able to celebrate that. That's the. I mean, the longer I live, the more I realize the world is very gray. There's not a lot of black and white out there, which for the most part makes me, my first reaction is being sad. Like, oh, look at all this gray that's out there. Look at all this black that's turned the white gray. Yeah. Uh, Or not to assign color values or anything like that. I hear Uh, you, man. I hear you. (laughs) But to realize that, yeah, even though there is a lot of things that are are bad in this world, there is a lot of good too. And there's a lot of good things we can appreciate. So I like that.
1: Yeah. I'd question the premise and just in general on, we don't even know what's good and what's bad. And I don't think you can create a positive thing without also creating an opportunity for something to not go how you wanted it to go. So yeah, moral of the story is, I think the world is ambiguous and I think that's what makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's spend time talking about what we appreciate, not because it necessarily just because it makes it feel good, though that is a big benefit, but because it helps give people a playbook for what works and they can execute that playbook.
0: Yeah. All right, well, to close us out, Max, let's just do this last one. Uh, bring brightness to the room is the one you close with. There's, I think it's a, just another positive thing to leave people with. So what was the inspiration for you to bring that in? Why did that kind of say, no, we have to have this one in the book. It's gotta be there.
1: Yeah um so bring brightness to the room uh i closed the book with uh that chapter because it, it reinforces the main idea of you are contagious uh and and it focuses on you being contagious in a, in a space whether it's a physical space or a digital space uh if if you walk into a room no matter what power you have in that room and you are uh, discouraging about whatever the topic at hand is, or you're just your energy uh, is low, or you say something like this is going to be boring, or this isn't going to be fun. You have an impact on the people around you. Uh, they will begin to mimic, uh, or, or 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 adapt, or adopt whatever it is you're doing. No matter what your rank or role is uh, in the in in the room, in the room, uh, it, it, basically, it's just a reminder that we all carry a tremendous uh, amount of ability to impact people. So, bringing brightness to the room is this idea of you don't have to be the most tripper person in the world. Do not be disingenuous to your own constitution, but uh, you can walk into a room with a face without a smile on your face and, and, and genuinely say, I'm looking forward to working with you all. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. And that's all I'm asking anybody to do when they bring brightness to the room. And if you don't feel that in a given day, you know, you're a human, good news. You're a human. You're not going to be bright every day. Right. And just letting the room know if you're off on that day, so that they don't inter- interpret it as uh, you know Max being off uh, because of something that happened in the room. I could have had something going on at home, and just simply saying, today's just not my day. It's nothing to do with this. Uh, I, I hope I'm not uh, you know negatively impacting anyone here, but it's just I'm not feeling it today." Then you can be supported. Uh, and but but most of the days you can probably come in and say, "All right, we have this 30 minutes allotted to do this thing. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, like, like, let's enjoy it." I think it's just a helpful reminder that. We've proven conta- emotions are contagious. We've proven it again and again. And I cite a few different studies in the book. I don't cite a lot of studies in the book, but that's one where I cite two, um, And I think it's important for people to remember that, that I think we like to think that the leaders of the world or the managers of the world are responsible for the tone and the tempo of a room.
0: They're not, you know, we all are. Yeah, totally. We had um, Lee Daniel Kravitz on the show. He talked about social contagion and about yeah. how like even thinking about bringing in like someone's, how much do you uplift a team should be like a, a point on your performance management review? Well, what's the impact you have on other people with that?
1: Yeah, you're in a group, man. You're doing something to the group. You yeah. know, you're either keeping it neutral, you're bringing it uh, to, a, na- uh, to a, a spot where there's, uh, you know, less energy or there's, a spot where there's more energy. So let's bring yeah. more as best we can.
0: Yeah, and the other thought I had was we had um, Cheryl Kerrigan on the show who was talking about uh, mental health and she said at their company, they have these stickers that just say, I'm not myself today. Like you can just grab a sticker at the start of the day, says like, I'm not feeling great, I got something going on. So if you notice something, it's not because of you, it's something else.
1: That is very, that, that, that's it, whatever works, right? Yeah. Like just, just to communicate where you're at and to let people know it's not you, it's beautiful.
0: Well, Max, where can people go to
1: check out the book to learn more about you? Thanks for asking, Neil, dobetterwork.com do better work.com all, you know, squished together. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can check out the book there. You can look at it. There's some video material. Yeah, I like the
0: video series on. too. That's nice.
1: Hey, thanks. Thanks for checking that out. Um, it was fun to make. Uh, yeah. So I, I hope people enjoy, uh, and I appreciate uh, you allowing me to come share these ideas. Absolutely. We hope to have you back next time too. Anytime, Neil. Thank you.